Hit me with it. Hit me with uh, it. I'm sorry. I know it's Blink-182. Hey! <laughs> I just got to listen to the chorus. No, the chorus, it gives it away? Well, there's... I'll give you a hint. The title isn't even in the song. Uh, this is my all-time favorite song. Just give me a hint. I can't. It's it's a guy's name. Jeez. It's a guy's name song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, I don't know it. But I've heard... I, I just remember it. Adam's song, Blink-182. Adam's song, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you got Blink, though, because usually you never get either the artist or the song. Yeah. I, honestly, I was going to guess Steve's song. I don't know why. <laughs> Man, that would have been close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were on to it, at least. I should have said it. Steve's song, I like that. Wow, that was the first successful guess, I think. Close, half guess. We'll half guess. Half. How you been, man? I've been good, man. You got I, a haircut, eh? Honestly, haircuts change your life. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Do you feel that? Hundred percent. Aren't my barber charges now fifty bucks a haircut? Yeah, and I love him for it. Like every time, I st- it's still worth it. Some weird way, hundred percent. Still worth it. Hundred percent. You never question. It's like you know what I love about being a guy. <laughs> yeah. Or a guy with facial hair is that you could change your image based off of facial hair. You can grow your facial hair. You could shave it. You it's can crazy. Like, get a new haircut. You look like a totally different man. Except for us, we I feel like we look stupid shaved. Oh, 100%. We look yeah. like thumbs, man. We look <laughs> fingers for some reason. <laughs> we got a skin tone of the thumb. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so we have a, a special guest again. This is, uh, this is fun. I love having guests on this show because both you guys get a lot from it, and um, these are hand-picked, hand-selected, okay? Mm. A lot of people will be like, oh, I want to be in a podcast, but there has to be a certain threshold they got to cross. Threshold. You know? So today we have... It's uh, very hard to pinpoint this guy as to what to title him because he's a master of a lot of different things. Mm. Um, me personally, I would call him a coach extraordinaire, so mot- whether it's motivational, fitness. Um, but I think if you were to ask him, it would be a lot of different titles. We have uh, Derek Payne. What's going on, people? Yeah, there oh, he is. the voice. <laughs> so good. Now, Derek is um, partially responsible in helping me with my fitness journey. I'm wow. on day uh, day 41 right now of non-stop. Haven't missed a day. Holy. And I see this guy every single morning for the past like 40 days, essentially. Right on, brother. And, Keep it up. Um, That's crazy. Day 41. Yeah. Yeah. Does it get boring for you? There are times where it gets a little repetitive, but it's not long lived. I just snap back out of it. I see yeah. people like working hard and the energy just brings me right back to where I wanted to be. Cause how many of those do you do a day on a full day? Seven, seven classes, seven classes. I say five. on average five. Okay. But it's the same workout, right? Yeah. It's the same workout. Okay. With different people. And there's what, like 20 people per class, 10 people per class, anywhere from 27 to 36 people per class. Damn. Rarely is there a full class like that, except maybe on a Sunday, but I'd say on average about 20 people a class. Yeah. Yeah. And you're no joke, eh? Like, so, like, I saw you in the class, not even working. Like, you were uh, a participant on the weekend. Yeah. Well, I was kind of like an undercover boss, you know, get a workout, ah. get my value, just make sure the other trainers are doing their job. Smart. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, I want to tell you why um, you're on here. Um, you know, I when I first started at the gym you work at, um, we had, we had had a meeting we talked about social media stuff, right? And, and the meeting kind of, uh, went on tangents and one of the tangents was for me, I was kind of like, man, you know, 
I ask myself, why do people even like me? You know, it's kind of this mental thing that we sometimes beat ourselves up when our confidence is down. And I was kind of sort of coming out of that at the time. And I'm like, yeah, I asked myself, why would people want to be my friend? And you kind of stop the conversation. You're like, well, hold on. You're like, if it means anything, I think you're a great person. And I don't really even know what you do outside of this. And it's so, it's such a minimal thing. But a lot of people wouldn't even stop the conversation to say something like that, you know? Mm. And after talking to you more, it sounds like you have uh, quite an interesting story that I'm super curious about and I want to know. I literally, as of right now, guys, I don't know much about Derek other than I see him every morning. Um, so what, what are you about? What's your, what's your thing, man? So there's a few directions I can go with this. And uh, I do think you're a great person. Thank so you. I wasn't hey. just, you know... Swing in the deal to help yeah, you yeah, yeah. help you out with the the business, but um, a little bit about me. So um, I'm the youngest of three. I'm the baby of the family. I was born on my due date actually, and I actually had a bowel movement inside my mother's uterus. And ever no since way. that day, I was bound to be a little shit. <laughs> um, Legendary. There you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a true story. Um, so. I grew up with a very loving family. Um, when I was about four years old, my parents actually got a divorce, which is uh, pretty difficult, um, even though I didn't realize what was happening at the time. So a theme that you might, that I'd like to kind of develop throughout the this uh, interview or discussion, I'm going to use the term, is uh, the stories and the things that happened to you back in the day kind of create, you know, your sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the human psych does things to allow you to survive. And um, so I had to repress those feelings in order to survive as a young kid. Um, and like I said, my family's been loving. My dad didn't like screw off. You know, I'd see him every other weekend, but he's always been loving and supportive. My mom became very stressed out having to raise three kids um, on her own, work two jobs, you know, and just make, basically put food on the table. She was a teacher, very hard worker where I believe I got my work ethic from. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the fact that I, I had a loving family, you know, my primary role model of a male figure, my dad, not being around all the time, I I uh, chose the, the wrong role models, to, uh, per se. So I got involved with, um, you know, with me repressing my emotions, that sort of thing. I got involved with... Uh, quite the shit disturber, hence being a little shit. Um, I was always a high performer uh, throughout school. I was on the honor roll. I was top of the class, but I also always led the, the school in suspensions. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting little complex. That's eh? balancing on the extremes. Right you're there. on honor roll and you're getting suspended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't need this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's no joke. So um, first time I ever uh, smoked a joint was two weeks before grade six. Grade six. Wow. Two weeks before grade six. So I was probably about nine years old. So I was hanging out with a, an older friend of mine. Um, my brother at the time, he's six years older than me. He was, you know, just starting grade eight and grade nine. That's typically, you know, an age where people start to experiment with drugs. So I always looked up to him and wanted to kind of keep up with the Joneses, yeah. per se. Um, by grade seven and eight, I was skipping lunch and going to get drunk with some friends uh, at lunchtime. Um I actually almost got expelled from grade eight for involving other kids and and smoking weed with me. So you you were becoming a an influence. Oh, a hundred percent. So 
this is where the superficial fra- fragility is that a word? Yeah, yeah. it is yeah. now. Um, <laughs> of my my psych came because you know I was a bit of a bully. I uh, would pick on kids, and I was you know a shit disturber, and but I was also a high performer. So I kind of found a way to to be on the good books and the bad books at the same time, mm. and. Um, you know, I, I basically had a superficial level of confidence just basically to protect, you know, how fragile I was actually inside. Um, Let me stop you. This, this is really interesting. Um, cool. I've been looking into, because we are going to do a topic on this podcast about bullying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of the research I've done about bullying shows that the exterior is often a very intimidating, hard figure, but the inside is the other end of the spectrum oftentimes very fragile and trying to mask the wounds of something that might have happened in your childhood or some sort of trauma Mm. now you said that you were a bully which a lot of people won't even admit um you're you're now saying you're confirming that that you're you being a bully was actually you suppressing and hiding your trauma from maybe growing up yes and um when I get a little bit further on in my life story here, I mm-hmm. guess um, you'll start to see how the fragile part was actually brought to the surface. Mm. So unintentionally, like, or un- unintentionally. Yeah. Well, then again, you attract what you are, right? So, am I going to say I deserve what happened to me? No, but yeah, you'll, you'll get an idea as to where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And feel free to stop me anytime if you have any questions. So, yeah, I'm just going to dig a little deeper here on on the just on, on this part of like on. on on your age at grade six or whatever, mm-hmm. did you intentionally feel like when you were trying to put up this wall, this wall so of uh, to protect the fragility, did you intentionally do it or was it just something that you just brought up? You know what I mean? Like, did you intentionally kind of shove it down and keep the fragile part inside and make this wall, I guess, for lack of better words, wall of bullying? I don't think it was intentional. I'd say it's more subconscious. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is how I'm going to survive and feel like I'm important in the world. Yeah. Or the, or yeah. the that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely was like, I'm going to put this, it wasn't like I was going to put this mask on intentionally. Yeah. It was just, I guess, my human psyche and my, my ego taking yeah. form and finding a way to validate myself as, you know, or sense of self-worth. Was that a way for you to get attention from your parents, or was it a way to fit in with your older brother who's six years older? Or was it was it something like that too? I'd say it was. That's pretty much right on the head. So definitely, I would always like try really hard, not try, do very well in school to get the attention from my mother, and then also cause shit to get the approval from my brother. Mm. So I believe it was a cry for attention um, in yeah. both ends of the spectrum. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why I was always a very high performer, but uh, a very big troublemaker. Yeah. So, and I don't know if this would be a, a insincere question, but if if your parents had stayed together, do you think your trajectory would have been on a roll without all of that bullying? Like, do you attribute that to that trauma from when you were four? I would not say so. Like, again, it, it's tough to predict the, the mm-hmm. future. I would yeah. still have the influence of, an, you know, my older brother who yeah. knows what would have happened with him. Um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you the mm-hmm. answer. I really mm-hmm. don't know. I think everything happens for a reason. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, whatever happened, I'm here where I am now and I'm actually thankful for everything that's happened. So, right. Okay. okay. So keep going with your story. So 
my mom was a supply teacher and uh, she she, uh, she won't kill me for telling saying this. Anyways, um, one day she got called in for school. Actually, no, it was on the it was one day. Call it a Thursday, and um, there was an announcement on the PA system saying like if somebody's caught bringing illegal substances to school, that uh, they will be expelled. And like right away, I knew that was me because mm-hmm. I've been smoking up with the uh, the other kids. And um, I guess one of the kids got in trouble with their parents or something like that and told the principal. The next day, sure enough, my mother gets called in to um, supply teach at the school. Wow. So she's all excited because typically when um, she's teaching at my school, the kids are a little nicer to her. Um, and as soon as she gets, uh, as soon as she walks through the front doors with me, she gets pulled into the office by the principal and basically spills the beans. And that was not a good day for her. And that's when I almost got expelled. That's kind of when, but there's a lot of other instances of me getting into trouble. Uh, That was kind of like the routine. So, grade in school, getting shit, that sort of thing. Drugs are always part of my my lifestyle. Grade 9, 10, 11, 12, again, um, I was getting high, drinking quite often, and, uh, but again, I was on the honor roll every year. Um, I would get suspended for a minimum of 10 days, of fighting, smoking up, that sort of thing. Um, I was always, like I said, I was always a hard worker. I had a full-time job. I was making money, and uh, I was balancing my grades. And I, w- I, would, I was always do my homework mm. before I got high. Then I started to do my homework while I was high. Wow. Such a structured, like, such a structured person. You would do your homework before you got high. Almost like you, a reward. Yeah. Like, you finish your homework, you get to get high. It's such a bizarre thing to hear this. Like, the story you're telling, if I were to anticipate it or even, like, finish it off, I would say that you wouldn't have made it through high school based off of this. You're getting suspended. You're getting drunk. You're getting high. But somehow, you're still on honor roll. So, it's almost like you separated yourself from the bad influences in your life to the necessities of what needs to get done. Um... So it's like you're living two separate things, like really, really great and and not so great. Right, I was on both ends of, uh, ends of the spectrum. So yeah. I would definitely have to attest um, my hard work work ethic and my dedication to my education mm-hmm. schooling due to my my mother. One hundred percent. Was it because you didn't want to let her down? Like that too, and also just doing well in school gave me another external, you know. Uh, validation of I'm good at something. It's right? crazy. I have so many questions here. So like, go for it, man. Let's go. Like, I, first of all, like, um, I, what was your friend group like? Yeah. You know, um, brother, like, do you have two older brothers? I guess I'm guessing like an older brother and an older sister. Um, Perfect. Yeah. I have, a, I have an older sister and an older brother. And a sister is like group, the middle child. Yeah, exactly. My sister's four years older than me. She's awesome. My brother's six years older than me. He's awesome. I have a great relationship with both of them. Um, and so at the time, like, I guess during high school or whatever, what was your friend group like? You know, uh, it seems like you almost didn't have enough time for all of this. Like yeah. studying, yeah. getting high. That's a, that's a five hour bender at e- minimum. Even like drinking, like, yeah, that's another five <laughs> hours, you know? Like, yeah. so my friend group was, you know, I always found a way to kind of relate to the kids that were getting bullied themselves. Cause mm. I kind of grew out of the bullying after high school, ah. oh, sorry, after elementary school, and I kind of would like, um, yeah. there's still elements of it, but I'd kind of fend or, or like stick up for the kids that were getting bullied and, and make friends with them, right? Um, 
my friend group were definitely shit disturbers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, you know, the kids that were going around to different parties and getting into trouble on the weekends, that sort of thing. So I also, I would say I'm gifted in terms of like my, my brain, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. So I know, I know, like I know how to write exams pretty well. Mm-hmm. I retain a lot of information. So I'm definitely, I definitely have a high IQ, which makes things easier for me. Um, but yeah, like, so you went from being the bully in middle school to somehow being sympathetic to the ones getting bullied. Yes, to an extent. Don't get me wrong. There were still elements of me bullying and being a troublemaker, right? right? Yeah, yeah, right. But I guess I just started to feel for the kids that were left alone and kind of like loners. Why? Like what? Like why? Well, what feeling would you get when you saw them? If you saw a kid eating lunch by himself or getting bullied, like what would that do for you? Um, empathy. Perhaps it subconsciously yeah. reminded me of myself. Mm. Um, you know, just not feeling like anybody really cared about me, even though that was not true. Because right. this is where I'm saying the stories that we tell ourselves are often not true. Yeah. They're just basically formed to protect yourself um, or to make sense of the world around you. Right. One hundred percent. Like my parents get divorced. Oh, that they don't love me anymore because why else? Like you know, you try to make sense of the world because is it my fault they got divorced? Hell no, but as a little kid, who um, doesn't really really have the capacity to make sense of the world in another aspect, you yeah. just come to those to those uh, terms. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. I, I, to me, I relate to that so much because, like, to me, high school and to I think to a lot of people, the way I see it is like high school is such a it's some of the, like you have the highest empathy. It's a time when you have like the highest empathy for kids. You know, like when you see like those loner kids, or you see like kids that don't really fit in. You see yourself in them. A lot because you're like in high school, you're just trying to figure it out. Right. So you have that empathy, but then you have to balance it with like protecting yourself and almost like weirdly not hanging out with them to protect yourself. You know, I know exactly what you're saying. I don't know if I would say it's the highest form of empathy in high school because there's a lot of kids that are still oblivious to people's feelings. You know, there's a lot of kids that are super concerned on how they look, how they act and who they associate with. Yeah. Based off of physical appearance. So that's the protection side. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if a lot of those kids would look at someone like very few would yeah. look at someone sitting by themselves and be like, I feel bad for that kid. Maybe some because at that age you're being pumped full of these PSAs saying like, you know, stop bullying. Like, how would you like to be that kid in movies mm-hmm. and stuff or in TV shows? Maybe. Yeah. But there's a lot of kids. I think you and I would fall into the same category where we would feel that. Yeah. I know I could name a few people that would not give for sure. the two shits about those guys, man. Yeah. Like, it was like they were just a... Uh, it's just a confusing time, man. A high school is very confusing because your body's changing, you know? Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, and like, again, empathy, I believe, is, you know, a, diff- a difficult thing to feel, again, because it's a fine mm-hmm. balance between sticking up for yourself, not looking like you're too vulnerable or a wimp or so- that sort of thing and mm-hmm. fitting in and... You know, I think genuinely people are empathetic yeah. humans, but society and whatever, we conform to those norms and just kind of takes us away from, you know, what we're, what we're meant to be. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's crazy. Okay. So after high school. Yeah. Then. So uh, you, you made it, school. you made it through high school. Yeah. So I graduated with honors on the honor roll. I got early acceptance to every university that I applied for. Um, hell man. I, I got this uh, Western scholarship of distinction. Or and I went to Western. Yeah, uh, I took um, 
honors Bachelor of Science Specialization in Kinesiology, which is a limited enrollment program. So uh, I moved away for school. Uh-huh. Um, you know, at this time, my grades started to drop uh, because I stopped going to class pretty much. That's I see that being pretty common because that's yeah. where you're in control of your own schedule. Exactly. Yeah. And just a little context for Western University, it's basically filled with party people that party the, the most. Whole city, man. London, Ontario. Yeah. But I then w- also, like, there are very smart people mm-hmm. that are, you know, it's Ivy League and they're going for law and, like, highest sciences and whatever. So Western is a lot filled with yeah. really smart people yeah. that party a little... A lot, way too much. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, way too much. Yeah. Um, that was definitely me. Um, and again, because I was just very good at retaining information, I would essentially cram in, you know, an entire semester worth of notes mm-hmm. in a few days and then go in and write the exam. So the first year, everybody starts off in the same program. And because I was in the science program, um, just to like, I, I graduated with like an 89 point something average. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I stayed on the honors program. I think I finished with like a 74 average or something like that, just by not, never going to class. Wow. But the biggest thing was that exactly, I, I didn't have somebody forcing me to go to class anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm like, oh, I can just sleep in, start skipping. I, I lost my schedule. I lost my routine. And I found a way to wing it. So I actually lost that work ethic and discipline, which yeah. is massive. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so that was kind of first year wrapped up. Second year is when things got really in- interesting. Um, so going back to, I kind of gave you some foreshadowing in terms of, um, you know, the fragile self being protected by that superficial bully, tough guy persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was pretty intoxicated. It was the second week or first week of my second year. Um, I, w- I was pretty drunk. I got into an altercation with somebody and somebody actually bit off 30% of my ear. What? Wow. Yeah, somebody Mike Tyson me. So um, no, yeah. Like, w- oh man, like where was this at? Like a bar or something? So this is outside a party. Well, yeah, he Western bit man. I'm telling you, Western. <laughs> he bit like your ear. Yeah. So um, wow. that's where you know the fragile inner self came to the surface. That's when I start. I got very depressed. Um, Jesus. I was walking around campus with like twenty something stitches in my ear. I wanted to drop out. My girlfriend at the time. Uh, was pretty supportive of me, but, uh, again, I just felt defeated. Um, I didn't feel comfortable. I would avoid sitting beside somebody on a certain side of the table just because I felt like they were looking at me. Social anxiety developed. You have a question? Go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. What sparked all this? Like, was it the fact that you got into a, like, the fight? Was that fight the pinnacle moment of the downfall? Or, like, why all of a sudden did the second year, what happened in that time? So that was definitely a pivotal moment, right? That's when that fake confidence mm-hmm. and the fragile self was brought to the surface. The mm-hmm. emotions that I was covering up now were brought to the forefront because mm-hmm. I guess I was so dependent on how, the way I looked and essentially just took my superficial confidence away yeah. from me and brought out that. It was because of the ear? Yeah, exactly. I just oh. felt like everybody was looking at me, like oh. that sort of thing. Right. It's really like the yeah, like the exterior, I guess for lack of a better words, got mangled and then the interior like that's what you know, like almost like the the whole facade, I guess, mm-hmm. just kinda breaks and then that's where like the interior comes out, you know, yeah. like the whole outside yeah. wall 
Yeah, exactly. So what I was actually feeling inside was brought to the surface. I see. Okay. Right. Were you fit at this point? Fit? Yeah. Like, were you like really taking care of your body and? Definitely not. Like, I wasn't working out. I've always been like an athlete playing like high level soccer, but at this point, I was not working out. Or maybe like yeah. the odd intramural team, but I was not in the gym five days a week like I am now. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other questions about that? No. No. Cool. So uh, I almost dropped out of school. I actually didn't tell my family about what happened just because I was didn't want them to worry about me. I found a way to get through the the semester. Um, mind you, I stopped showing up for a couple things. For example, uh, there was a swimming class. So in my in my kinesiology program, you had to take uh, activity courses, and one of them was swimming. And all I had to do was show up and get a 70, but I just didn't show up, mm-hmm. right? And again, that was because I think it tied into me not being a stronger swimmer back in my, my past, like based on the therapy I've done. Um, but I would avoid situations for fear of failure, essentially, yeah. right? So this is a theme that starts to uh, become a lot more um, apparent as I uh, progress in my story. Also, self-sabotage, again... These stories and you essentially recreate your past. So there was a time actually in elementary school, I'm just going to backtrack here, where I won a public speaking contest and the vice principal told me that I had to go on to the next round. So I was like, I got like a really high mark on why you should quit smoking. And um, in front of the, uh, all the, like the parent teacher council, the entire attendance of the school, I think it was like six or 700 people. I'm like, I'm not doing it. She's like, yeah, you have to. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. She's like, you have to. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're going to see what happens. So I intentionally self-sabotaged the speech. I was like mumbling and like speaking really uh, loud. Mm-hmm. And the look on her face afterwards was was priceless. Yeah. Um, but again, that had to do with me subconsciously avoiding a situation where I might not have been the best. Mm-hmm. Right. So you develop these rules and assumptions. If I'm not the yeah. best, I'm not good enough. This this. This sounds a bit like the uh, youngest sibling uh, complex. This is me, for sure. Where it's like the, the baby of the family usually gets a lot of the attention or they're always overhyped. So they have this sensation where they always have to be number one because because of the baby. Oh, look what he's doing. That's great. Mm. Wow, look what Amar just did. And so they have this sensation of I have to either be the best or I don't want to do it at all. And... Mm. It sounds like that might have been a similar thing starting then. Yeah, definitely. So, like, again, I always uh, took pride in being the top of the class or the most popular or the strongest at recess when we were wrestling, that sort of thing. So, Mm -hmm. it definitely ties into the way the sibling dynamics of being Mm -hmm. the baby, right? So, again, that's how you get attention is by, by doing the best, right? Um. So, where was I going with this? So, yeah, the again, I was talking about the, the swimming. So, I, I ended up um, getting through the year. I remained in the program. But, again, I, I had my hiccups. I stopped showing up for some, some classes. I got, like, a 54 in one of them, and they threatened to, to take me off the, the honor roll. Um, but my drug use started to get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I was, like, coping with the, the self-confidence and social anxiety. Uh, I started using a lot of cocaine. Now, this is probably in, like, the third third or fourth year. Um, And, uh, anyways, I uh, had to go back for a victory lap just because I was very adamant on getting my science degree, Mm -hmm. my Bachelor of Science. I could have gotten the arts program and not gone back for fifth year, but I decided to go. Uh, I went and upgraded some marks, and I graduated with honors. And, um, 
Yeah, I continued. Uh, I could have gotten a surgery on my ear, but I, for whatever reason, I didn't. Mm. Just because I guess I became comfortable with, hmm. comfortable with being like unhappy. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, uh, or fear of like the results not being good enough. But um, fear of change is definitely a, a theme there as well. Um, but um, yeah, I graduated with honors, and um. My drug use started to get worse and worse. I went into uh, high-pressure sales, working for a company called Xerox. And um, although I did well, you know, I was a top performer, I still had that social anxiety. Um, I would start to self-sabotage the jobs. You know, instead of showing up, I'd just, you know, yeah. get high and party and that sort of thing and get fired and get another good job and get fired, even though it was a high performer. And... Um, this theme of self-sabotage again started like very at a very young age. Yeah. And then the drug use became a way of, you know, being the, the, the form of self-sabotage. There was like the avenue sure. or the means to the end, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so one thing leads to another. My family starts to get worried when I start becoming unreliable. My drug use is getting worse and worse. And, and they had no idea the, at the time or what? I mean, th- I don't think they had any idea as to how serious the drug use was getting. Yeah. Um, so I started using cocaine pretty much every day. Um, Is that, an, I mean, that's an expensive thing to upkeep, right? Mm-hmm. Like, were you investing a lot of money in that? Oh, 100%. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. So I've always been good at making money, but saving it's another thing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I actually, after one big thing that decided me to get help was uh, my grandparents weren't doing too well, and um, my mother brought to like my attention how worried she was, and it was just so tough to get a. I was I was stuck in this like negative cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're in active addiction, it's very difficult to break out of it. Um, but my grandparents told my mother that th- I wasn't reliable, and I I, ve- I value their love and their relationship very much. So they've been. And they were a very important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of has stuck with me that I wasn't reliable. So I value being reliable and disciplined wow. to this day. Um, but I decided to go get help at a place called Vita Nova. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, there's a day program and there is a, um, a live-in program. And uh, I did three months in 2017. But living, again, was it a live-in one? No, I was uh, I was on the day program. So you're there like Monday to Friday, uh, nine to five, and um, I wasn't really taking it seriously. Mm. So I was like, again, superficial bullshit. And I could talk to talk. If you had asked me to write an exam on uh, recovery and rehab, uh, then I see. I'd ace it. But if it was, I live in it. No, I wasn't actually penetrating it into the emotional healing aspect of it. Were you still using drugs? Yes. Well in rehab. Yeah. So there was a time I was there for like three months. I would get high and then basically go there scared. They're going to piss test me because if they did, I get kicked out. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was living a lot essentially. And so by you going to rehab, did it give you this sensation of, well, at least it looks again, is this another exterior thing? At least it looks like I'm trying to get help. Yeah. Even though I'm still fueling this demon or this trauma inside, my grandparents are now going to see... I am going to be reliable again because now I'm going through rehab. And on the outside, the public eye looks like I'm I'm being a success. Yeah, so 
I, I believe I was there for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was there to please other people as opposed to like, shit, I really got to look deep. Yeah. Into me. yeah. Yeah. Right. So it was like the, the exterior facade, mm-hmm. um, that, um, yeah, I'm getting help. Like, don't, don't have to worry about me. Right. Yeah. Um, so I went back to work. I was still using every, every day. I was gambling a lot. Um, Blew all my savings. I was in quite a bit of debt. And this went on for about, uh, I'm going to say about a year mm-hmm. after I had left the, the initial program, right? Oh. Um, did, you, did you successfully make it through? And I'm using quotations because obviously you were using the whole time. Mm-hmm. That three months, was, in their eyes, was it like, hey, he's successfully made it through the program? Yeah, exactly. So they gave me... Um, you know, basically, you're supposed to be there five days a week, but they gave me a little bit of leeway to come in only a couple of days a week. As soon as I got that leeway, mm, so I was supposed yeah. to be there a couple of days a week and work yeah. together. As soon as I, I didn't show up, I didn't go back. When you were, in, sorry, when ahead, you go. were when you were in there, okay, you, you said in high school that you started to look at kids and have this empathy for them because uh, you were a bully and now you want to defend them. When you're in this rehab clinic and you see these people that have been kicked in life whether it's self-sabotage or whatever caused them to be there did that not fuel that same thing inside of you to say look at all these people man like they're all really struggling or is rehab a place where you're there for yourself and you can't really focus on other people i was so emotionally numb at the time oh, you were, okay. Dan, that like again yeah. i was i was in such a shitty position i, I my emotions were numb 100 percent. like mm-hmm. it was again it was all bullshit yeah, essentially, I just wasn't ready. And that That's was my question: thing, yeah. is like, when did you really? I guess we'll get to hear it, but it doesn't seem like at this moment or any moment you're really, you're really like reconciling your feelings or reconciling how how aware of you are of the of all these situations. Like it seems now, when you're telling the story, obviously you've gone through a lot of reconciliation of like knowing this might have led to this, and this took this trajectory and whatever. Um, when did that happen? Did it happen way later or during these times? So after I left the program the first time I went to work, I was, I was still showing up to work, but I was starting to become even more unreliable. Yeah. Um, and, um, I was working at a restaurant and I was thinking about going back cause I realized how messy this was getting. And, um, I was living at home at the time. Um, and sure enough, my counselor showed up at my restaurant not knowing that I was working there. And it was kind of like a sign from the universe, like, dude, it's time to go back. Wow. Right? Uh, and I was thinking about reaching out to her, and then she showed up, which is kind of just weird how things like that happen, right? And that's like the kind of the synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I reached out to them. Um, my mom didn't had no clue what was going on. I was still showing up to work, um, whether that be late or, like, on no sleep. And... Um, I'll never forget one night, it was like four or five in the morning. I had been partying all night. Um, something like basically picked me up and went and woke my mom up, my mom up in the middle of the night and said, mom, I have to go back to rehab. Mm. Um, it was kind of like an out-of-body experience. Um, and she's like, she was shocked because she had no clue what was going on. Even though I looked mm-hmm. like shit, I was like 125 pounds, 130 pounds. And um, that started the process. Then I went back to rehab for myself this time. Uh, mm. This is when I was like serious. Like I, I've always known I deserve better in life, and I just 
didn't like where I was was headed. I didn't like where I was. Um, I restarted the program on June 11th of 2018. I did a couple. Mu- I did like a couple months clean. I was on day program again, uh, and then I would screw up. And then they give me a second chance. And then you know, a couple, another couple months, I'd screw up. And then eventually, they're like, "Listen, you're repeating the same patterns we're enabling you at this point. You either move into the house or uh, move on." Mm. And she told me that I have 24 hours to decide. So, I'm like, shit, what am I gonna do now? You know, I kind of try to screw my or weasel my way out of it and I just basically submitted I gave up and uh, I didn't give up I I stopped resisting and I decided to move in on November 5th Um, I stayed in the house for four and a half months and then I moved out back under day program and this is when the work really started when I disconnected from society you're not allowed any cell phones um, no phone calls no visits for the first 30 days you're not allowed to leave the house after 90 days um, Where is this? Is it? It's is at Rutherford it, and Twenty Seven in Woodbridge. So is this house in like a neighborhood, um, or is it a little bit more secluded? It's a little more secluded. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic place. If anybody's listening and they know somebody suffering from drugs or mm-hmm. gambling or any sort of mental health issue, um, it's called Vita Nova. Like they help change my life a hundred percent. Okay, so. Let's let's go in here. You you go to rehab. What is rehab like? You say you're not allowed visitors, no cell phone for 30 days. No cell, no cell phones at all. No cell phones at all. No ever. visitors or phone calls for 30 days. So what do you what do you do with your time cuz you know, for me if I am off of my phone and I'm going through something or from I'm, I'm left my own devices, I ruminate and then I start it, it intensifies the thoughts in my head. Mm-hmm. So is there do they have some sort of activities for you to do to stay distracted? Right, so the way it works is Monday to Friday, it's basically like school. So they have different courses. So like Monday, you'll do like mindfulness and then a group called Seven Questions where you do goal setting. Uh, Tuesday will be like life skills and spirituality. Wednesday will be like art therapy and um, like a reading where you like basically do a reading. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the readings on my Instagram, but something similar to that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Thursday will be relapse prevention. And I can't remember, it's been a while since I've been there. And then Friday will be like chores. Um, wow. When you're living there, that basically, and then you'll have like your lunch as like a, a community and that sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot of time. It's it's more so what you do with the time not during class. Yeah. Right? So this yeah. is where I basically buckled up. I'm like, okay, I'm here now. I got to make it count. So I started waking up at 5 a.m. First thing I do is make my bed, start praying. Um, I started to do things with intention. For example, like walk down the stairs backwards, brush my teeth with my left hand uh and what what does that do what is what's the purpose of that essentially it's to snap out of autopilot so like Ah. a lot of people they they wake up in the morning i gotta gotta brush my teeth i gotta rush Mm. you know what i mean get things done so i'd be like hold on let's stop and let's break the cycle and basically do things with intention as opposed to being like a robot damn that's yeah and i'm from i've read this on this before of just like how the autopilot thing is big because then it's like your brain doesn't like auto fire everything. Okay, we it, let's say I don't know. Every time you go out with, you know, like we'll talk about studying, right? Mm-hmm. Every time before he would study, he would or sorry, every time he finishes studying, he would do some drugs, mm-hmm. right? So it could have been like an auto fire in your brain, literally of like, okay, we're done studying, we're gonna do drugs now, mm. right? Whereas then when you start doing things with intention or without the autopilot on, 
your brain, you're kind of like rewiring your brain and how it fires off different things, right? So then you can tell your brain, no, just like how we brushed with my left hand, every time I finish studying doesn't mean I have to get high. And it, it sounds it, so simple. It like shocks the system into a different routine. Yeah. You know, like recently, not recently, over the summer, um, uh, you know, F, F45, the whole gym thing was essentially that for me. Yeah. Was trying to detoxify myself from past relationships and people. So I got to the point where I would walk my dog the other way. Yeah, you were just, saying. Just so I could make the days seem a little bit different from the previous days. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is my mornings became routine. I'd go to the gym, I'd walk my dog, and then up until noon, the whole morning is the same from every other morning. So I started walking around the other way. That's an interesting... Did they teach you that in rehab? So, yeah, there's like one group that's mindfulness, right? And that's when I really started to take my meditation seriously, and that's what mindfulness is. is Ooh, you can meditate. <laughs> I, I, I do my best. Dan, Everybody Dan has can. been looking for people that can meditate. 100%, man, because I've been super interested in meditating, and I see the effects it has on people, and mm -hmm. I know that it comes in many different forms. But it is so damn hard to get into the process of meditating I can't crack that, man. Like, I can't get through it. All right, so maybe this analogy will help you out. So I meditate pretty much every day. Right before the, that 9, basically the doors open for the gym at 9. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, that sled track, I basically lie there every day and listen to, like, a binaural beats, and I do a meditation mm -hmm. right on that floor there. Mm -hmm. It's part of my routine. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll, I'll always switch it up. But um, I take it, like, check it like this. So your subconscious mind is like an email inbox, Right. And we're so busy with the, the everyday parts of life um, that these emails start compiling up. And next thing you know, you have, you know, that little image yeah. where you have like 10,620 emails unchecked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you just don't give yourself time to check these emails. Um, and what happens is these emails keep piling up and piling up and then they take data. Right. Mm. And all of a sudden your email inbox, inbox gets full. And if you don't check these emails, you can't take any any more information. Right. So that's kind of analogous to, um, all right, you're not dealing with these thoughts or emotions. The next thing you know, you explode, you, you, you know, you blow, you have no more room for your data. Damn. Um, so this is like meditation in my, or one form of it. A lot of people think that you sit down, you meditate and you're automatically going to get bliss. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes they're going to feel like shit. Sometimes they're going to feel cool, but you have to do it basically pretty much every day. And by sitting there and just being like allowing your thoughts to come up, whatever they are, negative, positive, um, mediocre, mm -hmm. it's basically slowly unchecking those emails that have compiled up in your subconscious inbox. And now you're making room for more stuff. Mm -hmm. So as you continue to go through these unchecked emails, and they could be emails from, I don't know, when you're four years old, 26 year old emails, even though emails didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. But, um, now you're making more room for these things and you can actually respond as opposed to react. So mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll catch myself and, I've, and I'll t or attribute it to my meditation practice that, you know, the, the old me or the autopilot me would react with anger or hostility. But now I can like stop, breathe and think because I have room in my inbox to interpret it. That's interesting. Yeah, I know it's healthy. We talked about this briefly in another podcast where you have to feel the emotions. A lot of time we distract ourselves with stuff because we get this icky feeling and we're like, no, 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 no I don't want to address this right now. So we put it away. We either go on our phone for distractions. Yeah. We, we do some sort of negative habits or whatever to avoid 
coming in contact with what we need to feel. So I could see that being helpful. Sit there and, okay, for the next 10 minutes, we're going to sit with this emotion face-to-face and say, what's going on? Why are you here? And why are you bothering me? Um, That is a great analogy, actually. That's very, um, that's great for normal people to hear and understand the email thing, you know, because mindfulness and meditation is this entire world surrounded by words like bliss and like just even the word meditate, man. A lot of people don't even know what that means. Yeah, it sounds too fluffy. It sounds too fluffy. We cross our legs and we have to just go to this place of, of bliss and you're like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. So to simplify it, meditation to me is simply the art form of doing nothing. Yeah. Right. That's what it is. It's just taking time to sit there and do nothing and just chill the F out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we like how you've made it so practical to understand, you know, like... With the emails, yeah. For, like, literally, my email, if I pull it up right now, it's at the 10,700, right? And instead of exploding, I, I guess for me, I've just, like, checked out of checking my email anyway, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll do the occasional scroll to see if there's any important subjects, but I've checked out of my email, and it's like... If I were to attribute that to, you know, my life, I guess your life without meditation, when all these feelings are there and they're stored and like mm-hmm. you said, they're taking data, you almost check out of your own life. You check out out of your own feelings, right? But once you start going through the emails one by one, once you start being aware of those feelings during meditation that come up, positive, negative, important subjects, not important subjects, you start kind of, I guess... Uh, peeling away the layers, right? And um, and then you can check back in because, yeah, if I were to get a new email account with zero emails, I'm checking everyone. You know, everyone that comes through, I'm going to be checked into them, right? Um, and I guess with meditation, once you bring all those, you're aware of all those feelings at four years old, at 14, at 24, um, you start to be much more aware mm-hmm. of the new the new emotions and you know how to react to them. And hey, let me dial this back. Let me chill out here and all that. Exactly. So, you know, it might take some time to catch up to these emails, right? And mm-hmm. eventually you get to a point where, you know, don't get me wrong, I'll sit there and I'll lie down and I'll just do nothing, essentially, just to keep it simple. Um, and thoughts will come up. But for the most part, my mind isn't like racing anymore. It's just like super chill. Like I used to be go, go, go. Now I can just sit there and do nothing. Yeah, that's, that's the dream right there. It's sick. So, so it's been, I guess, almost a year since you've been out of that rehab house. So my, um, I graduated the program on June 11th, which is one year of being in the program. Uh, my 11 months sober, because there were a couple of hiccups I had since I started, yeah. is on October 2nd. So that's in a couple of days. That'll be 11 months clean for me. Um, and uh, yeah, the journey continues, man. Wow. And so does... Being at the gym every day, does that help you at all? Like, does fitness help kick the inner voice? So the the inner voice is not is never going to leave. It's always going to be there. Um, negative negative inner voice. That's always going to be there. Straight up, that uh-huh. voice is always going to be there. Um, but again, that voice, I've developed a, like a, a very positive internal dialogue with myself. That has to do with affirmations or uh, doubt ever kicks in or fear. I'll kind of put that voice to rest. I essentially have a conversation with myself in my head, Mm. but it's controllable, right? Mm. Um, The fitness aspect helps with discipline. I'd say that's the biggest thing for me. Don't get me wrong. 
looking good, being strong, being able to improve your bench press or running fast or playing better in sports is great, but it's the discipline. That's the biggest thing. And, you know, my dedication and discipline to fitness started in rehab. That's when I started waking up at five o'clock in the morning, meditate for 30 minutes, journal for 30 minutes, work out for an hour and a half, drink a glass of water, um, snap out of the autopilot. That's where I developed these habits. And I believe that everybody could benefit from them. If it wasn't for me living in rehab and, you know, being forced to do something with my time and figure things out for myself, because you do have guidance, but at the end of the day, it's, it's your own recovery. You paint your own picture. Um, I wouldn't have developed these habits, like things like positive affirmation training, which is something that I hope to bring to the masses one day. But essentially, it's working out, getting the endorphins nice and high, uh, the neurotransmitters and dopamine flowing, and then feeding your subconscious mind positive thoughts, like I am good enough, I am strong, mm. I am balanced, uh, balanced, and um, it's just like a, it's a really cool technique that I used in rehab. I'd hop on the elliptical for like an hour put in these video or audio recordings of these positive affirmations and just get, get it going. Damn. So are you now all about, um, being a voice for transformation from what you have been to now what you are now? Because now like every morning you play a role, whether you specific verbally are playing that role, but you play a role in other people's lives at this gym because a lot of us go there because we need structure. We need that, that we need to feel better about ourselves. I know that's why I'm there. And so you kind of become the figurehead for that. So even regardless if somebody has a drug problem or not, I believe the majority of people, they suffer from confidence issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it day in and day out where somebody comes into the gym and, um, you know, they don't believe in themselves. They're intimidating, which is fine. But, mm-hmm. um, I see fitness as a way to, what's the word I'm looking for? To reinvent yourself. Like nothing gives me more satisfaction than seeing somebody come in there, you know, they're not fit, they have no clue what they're doing, and then just feel good about themselves like, you know, a couple months yeah. down the road or something like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's, it's very rewarding and fulfilling. So when I do get bored of it, because it's the same class every day, um, it's still, I see different people working hard and that energy right of just everybody just working hard putting the work in being disciplined and then improving their life is very rewarding for me i like that you said you know you're talking about reinventing yourself and i think a lot of times you know we think of reinventing yourself that has to start from a negative that you know you can't you know almost if you're if you're doing good enough in life that you don't have to reinvent yourself but a lot of times we confuse that because let's say you're going to rehab you know um, a lot of people might look at someone that comes out of rehab as now just normal in society, right? They they look at rehab as a way to rehabilitate your way back to society. But what they don't see is actually most people that go to rehab come out with tools much stronger than the normal person. The fact that they're teaching you mindfulness, meditation, uh, all these you know grounding exercises, chores, discipline, these are things that normal people don't really know that much or they're aware of, right? But when you come out of rehab, a lot of times you have more tools than the average person. You have more training than the average person on how to deal with life and how to deal with things. So a lot of times people look at rehab as I only got to go there if I'm in a negative space. But I think rehab really shines whether you're having a negative life or 
a positive life or at you're at your peak confidence, rehab can still, you know, exponentially grow you as a person. Well, I think what I've learned too over the years is that everyone's got their own shit, right? Yeah. So even the term normal, I, I know what you're saying when you use that, yeah. but you know, when you go to rehab, I think it's an ultra magnified version of you really need these these tools. You really need this this stuff. Yeah. And to, it's catered to you. To almost bring you back up to where you should be at this time. Yeah. The hardest moments though, and, and tell me if you agree with this, the hardest moments in life are often the pinnacle of what becomes a new version of you. Mm. I know what you're saying, like sometimes you don't have to always be down to reinvent yourself, but I feel like sometimes the lower you go, the the bigger of a transition you come out or For sure. the newer of a person you are on the other end of things, you know? But I think that's just because we're so okay because when, sh- when you're very low, it seems like, well, what a- what's there to risk, right? I'm at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing really to risk, right? right? And a lot of times when we're so positive and we're so high confidence and, you know, everything around us is, uh, air quotations, perfect, it seems like there's a lot more to risk. There's a lot more to risk right now for me, if I were, or for any of us, to take three months away from anyone and no cell phones. And that's why it seems so foreign to us to kind of give in our cell phones, not meet our friends for 30 days, because there's just, there's so much to risk, right? Yeah. But right. putting in that risk is when you'll get that big reward that's life changing. And I think, though it's harder to do it at when you're peak confidence, I think it's just as important. So, you know? I like just to kind of tie what both of you are saying together here. I believe the world needs therapy and whether you have a severe drug addiction or not, people don't aren't comfortable being vulnerable. They're like, they're talking about their shit. You put on a mask. I got to show up to work. I got to do my job. Hmm. I got all these pressures. I got to be there for my family. And I don't believe everybody needs to, to dedicate three months of their life and, you know, take a leave of absence from work. Of course. But if you just maybe talk to somebody once a month or maybe once a week and started to check through those emails that are a little bit more difficult to understand, yeah, you know, it prevents stuff from boiling up and then having some sort of like outrageous explosion or, um, you know, dealing with depression. Depression is essentially depressed, like stuck yeah. down emotions. So if you just like did like a monthly check in, like there's nothing wrong with speaking with a therapist. I believe, right. I believe the stigma is starting to break down in terms of that, but yeah. You know, even me up until, you know, I've been through it and I started to see how people operate from a sober perspective. And after being through therapy is that, oh, if you go see a therapist, you're you're mentally screwed. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Therapists have therapists. Like you, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Like, I don't, I don't know. I still talk to my therapist. I still talk about my shit. And, you know, a big reason me, you know, wanting to be on this podcast is not to, for me, I don't give a shit about me. It's like if one person can essentially realize, okay, there's nothing wrong with going to get help. Maybe I'll go and I'll take action today. Sick, done. I'm happy that I was able to help, right? And uh, I'm very, um, I guess the word commend you guys yeah. for doing this, right? You're bringing awareness to a variety of problems and, you know, the everyday person can have an impact on the everyday person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's that's it. To have uh, a mental illness or men- mental health struggles in today's world versus 20 years ago, it's come a long way. The stigma has definitely dropped 
huge amounts because of Bell Let's Talk Day. Um, but I know growing up, therapy was often shown in movies of like someone that's like lying on a couch and you're just like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, man. Like big life problems that an adult always has. And so when I first saw a therapist, it wasn't that. I didn't have marital issues. I didn't have like issues with kids or finances. I had issues with under not knowing why I wanted to cry randomly. Mm. And it didn't plug into what society was telling me why you had to see a therapist until I eventually said, okay, forget what the movies have taught me. Let's just go anyways and see what happens. Yeah. And it fixed me like crazy amounts. There's also a little bit of the gender norms where it's like, as a guy, you kind of have to be a little stronger and you can't show that vulnerable side, which I hope also breaks down eventually because to what you were saying, see, uh, to see a therapist isn't, isn't an odd thing anymore. You literally go into a room and you talk to somebody about your issues and then they just give you sound advice without any biased opinion. That's, yeah. that's what therapy I, is. First of all, I, I admire, by the way, I got to say this, I admire that you always talk about therapy and, you know, that I'm just a normal person that is has pretty good feelings about life and mm-hmm. that you still go see a therapist. And I, and I think I really admire how kind of casual it seems and how beneficial, you know, you show it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really hope that one day therapy can, you know, be as not even as chill, but like as commendable as working out. You know what I mean? Like it really is like exercise. It, you know, if we could talk about therapy the way we talk about exercise of like, yeah, today I went to see like my personal trainer today. I went to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, it's crazy that like, sorry to use that word, but like, it's, it, you know, when you talk about, Oh, I went to see a personal trainer, people look at you. Like you're a bigger person, like you're a better person, right? Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And right exactly now, yeah. you know, you're taking care of your shit. You yeah, know? you're yeah. you're doing well. If I were to say, "Oh, I'm gonna go see my therapist today," it's like, "Whoa, like what problems do you have?" And then that's hundred percent. That you can really see the stigma, the difference between the two, right? And I hope it becomes no, more normal. Like, um, you know, yeah. Even exercise in the last five, ten, twenty years has become so much easier to talk about and so much more commendable. Like I remember girls, it was weird for girls to work out. Right. Like, but now we, it's amazing that girls, more girls are working out, you know? So, and the stigma. No, that's a good, that's a good piece of advice. There it is. Derek, uh, thanks so much for coming on here. Right on, man. Uh, thank you so much for helping me personally with my fitness journey. 100%. I got you, bro. You gotta keep showing up. Be disciplined. Yeah. For sharing your story, man. That's, takes Um, a lot of guts. Where can people find you? At 45 Humber Bay. <laughs> hey. No social social I, I am underscore D Pain. D Pain. That's P A Y N E. Yep. I am D Pain. We'll link in the show I notes. I am as underscore well. D Pain. I am underscore D Pain. Cool. Thanks a lot, Derek. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, guys. Take care. Love you.